Hello, I'm Alina. Hello, I'm Janine. We're two sisters, two PhDs, relentlessly curious about too many things. This is Sister Doctor Squared. And welcome to episode five of Sister Doctor Squared. Yes, thank you for joining us. As always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this episode and pay our respects to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you, Janine. So we're excited to get into this episode. Yes, super excited to get into today's episode. This episode was actually inspired by one of our listeners. So Deepak in Australia got in touch to ask us to explain the La Nina weather cycle that he keeps hearing about in the news in Australia this summer. Now, this is certainly something we hear a lot about too, and I have to admit that I didn't have a full understanding of how it all worked. I'm the same, Janine. I had pretty limited understanding, but as soon as he suggested this, I was excited because I wanted to learn more and get into this topic. So thanks, Deepak, and we hope you enjoy this one. So we wanted to start by taking you through what I did and what I found. I consulted several reputable sources, including the Bureau of Meteorology in Australia, the ABC in Australia, and the National Ocean Service from the US, just to wrap my head around this La Nina weather pattern so I could break it down for you. We will pop links to these sources up on the website so you can go and read more if you want to. Essentially, global weather is influenced by many factors. The strongest driver of the weather in Australia, and indeed many parts of the world, is a cycling of two distinct phases. One of these is known as La Nina, and then there is its meteorological cousin, if you will, El Nino. And there is also a more neutral phase in between these two. Now, this whole cycle is known as the El Nino Southern Oscillation, or ENSO for short. Essentially, it is what is happening in the Pacific Ocean and the atmosphere that will determine which ENSO phase is dominant at any particular time. To understand how it all works, we need to start with the trade winds. These are winds that blow from east to west around the equator. Now, this is why it's often faster to fly in one direction when you are flying with the trade winds, as opposed to flying back in the other direction when you're flying against the trade winds. Okay, so these trade winds are blowing from east to west, so from the American region across the Pacific Ocean towards the Australian and Asian region. When these trade winds are strong, they cause the top layers of ocean water to move in the same direction. So we have ocean water moving from the American region towards Australia and Asia. Now, since this water is at the surface, it is warmer, so we get lots of warmer water on the Australian side of the Pacific. And as you know, the warmer water is, the more evaporation that will occur. Right. So we're going to see increased evaporation rates, leading to more cloud formation above this region of warmer water. And this is going to then lead to increased rainfall over that Australian and Asian region. And this is where we find ourselves in a La Nina phase. Okay, so overall in a La Nina phase in the Australian region, we see increased rainfall, higher likelihood of flooding and cyclones, plus cooler daytime temperatures. 
but interestingly, slightly warmer nighttime temperatures because this increased cloud cover behaves a bit like a blanket and traps a lot of the daytime heat. Now, when that warmer water moved away from the American region, this meant that cooler water from the deeper ocean rose up in that American region. And since this cooler water doesn't evaporate to the same degree, we see sort of the opposite weather pattern on that side of the globe. So that is less rain, warmer daytime temperatures, and the higher likelihood of drought in the southern US, for example. So hopefully it's becoming clear that the weather experienced during a La Nina phase will depend on which part of the globe you are in. In Australia, La Nina essentially means a wetter climate pattern, but in the southern US and Central and South America, it means a drier weather pattern. Now let's look at the other end of the spectrum in terms of ENSO, El Nino. This is kind of the opposite to La Nina, especially in terms of the weather patterns that are experienced. El Nino is triggered when those trade winds slow down or reverse. This means that the warm ocean water from around the American region doesn't end up moving and the ocean around Australia stays cooler. So there is less evaporation in this region. So in Australia, during the El Nino phase, we see less rainfall, higher daytime temperatures and more likelihood of drought. But conversely, in the American region, we would see a wetter phase. So is this all making sense so far? Yes, absolutely. Lovely summary, Janine. That is making sense. Okay, phew. So I just want to do a quick recap and I just want you to imagine, just imagine a growing flowchart in your mind, okay? Ooh, yes. Okay, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, La Nina equals high trade winds, which equals warm water moving to Australia, which equals higher evaporation, which equals higher rainfall in eastern Australia. And we'd see the opposite weather experienced in the American region. For El Nino, El Nino equals weak trade winds, equals warmer water staying near the American region, equals higher evaporation and rainfall around the American region, places like southern US. And again, we will have the opposite weather being experienced in Australia. Very nice. Okay, cool. And so when we have a more neutral phase then, would I be correct in saying that we've got trade winds blowing, but they're not so strong? Pretty much. So yes, it's a really important point you've raised there, Alina. We're we're not always in El Nino or La Nina, and that's something I certainly thought before I did this research. It's actually more of a spectrum where we'll be able to identify which phase is more dominant and the strength of that phase, but there is a neutral phase in between where we're experiencing what we would think of as normal or neutral weather. And yes, this will be governed by the strength of those trade winds. Okay, very nice. Cool. So in 2021, we are definitely in a clear La Nina phase. And certainly in Australia, we are already seeing much more rain on the eastern Mm, side. We are. And definitely there's an increased chance of floods and cyclones for the next year or more. That is concerning, although at the same time, there will be a lower risk of bushfires in Australia. I guess it's a silver lining, but of concerning, of course, if there are floods. That's right. So, Janine, I was curious whether you came across anything about where these names came from, La Nina and El Nino? Yes, uh, I found that El Nino actually is Spanish for little boy, but also Christ child. 
And I found out that this was coined by fishermen in the South American area hundreds of years ago because they were observing these higher rain patterns starting around Christmas time. Okay. Yes. So the birth of Jesus. That's right. So, and La Nina is basically the opposite type of weather system. And so the opposite to a little boy is a little girl, La Nina. Right. Very nice. Yeah, so hopefully starting to see how something happening in one part of the globe will be linked with what is happening at a completely different part of the globe. Yeah, it is very interesting that the wind blowing in one area of the globe has such a huge impact on the weather in another part of the globe. That's right. Very nice, Janine. Thank you for that summary. And Deepak, let us know how we've gone with that. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. We await your feedback. Okay, so Janine, you've talked about the direct effects of La Nina and El Nino periods on the weather around us and likelihood of natural disasters like flooding and drought. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go a bit further along and look at some of the downstream effects of La Nina because La Nina and El Nino affects everything from ocean temperature to rainfall and natural disasters, as you've said, but also animal migration, food Mm. supply, energy production, and human health. So I wanted to tell you about what happened in the South Pacific island nation of Tuvalu in 2011 during a particularly strong La Nina period. Yes. Now, Tuvalu is a collection of tiny islands about halfway between Australia and Hawaii. Sadly, the islands of Tuvalu are slowly disappearing due to rising seawaters from climate change. That's another podcast episode. It is indeed. Now, anyone who was in Australia in 2011 will remember the severe floods in Queensland at this time. This was a once-in-30-year event, and this was triggered by an unusually strong La Nina period. Yes, who could forget that, anyone? From this part of the world. Yes. Now, while La Nina brings heavy rainfall in Australia, as you've explained, in the Pacific Islands, it brought drought. Mm-hmm. And Tuvalu went through a severe drought in 2011. And during the same time, it had a large outbreak of diarrhea. Really? It did. Now, diarrhea is kind of a big deal. <laughs> it's We're laughing, but it's potentially fatal. Yeah, of course. Diarrhea is a leading cause of death in children under five years old, Mm -hmm. and over half a million kids die from diarrhea each year. Wow. Now, we'll put up some links uh, for information on that on the website. And importantly, the real burden of diarrheal disease is in developing countries where they don't have the best sanitization resources and facilities. So an outbreak of diarrhea in developing countries like this is a serious problem. So what happened in Tuvalu and how? So this is what this study set out to answer. And Janine, I'm excited because it's time for some epidemiology. Oh, your (laughs) favourite. Yes. So this is an epidemiological field study that was done by Jordan P. Emmett and colleagues across the US, Brazil, Fiji, and Tuvalu. It was published in the American Journal of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene in 2017. So to set the scene here, the study's site was Funafuti Atoll, which is the administrative center of Tuvalu, and Mm -hmm. where most of Tuvalu's population lives. 
There are no rivers, no lakes, and no other suitable freshwater reserves in Funafuti. And at the time of this La Nina-induced drought, people were relying solely on rooftop rainwater harvesting for Mm. their potable water supply. There was only one medical facility, a hospital, Mm -hmm. on Funafuti at the time, and this is where all the health surveillance and reporting took place. So this diarrhoea outbreak was detected at the time in 2011 through routine health surveillance, And so knowing that this outbreak had taken place, the authors wanted to look deeper at what happened and why, and they did this study about three years later in 2014. So they looked back in time at inpatient and outpatient medical records from the hospital. They looked at rainfall and temperature data from Tuvalu. They looked at the humanitarian responses from the Tuvalu government, as well as international aid responses that took place around the time of the outbreak. And they did some research on the ground in Tuvalu to try and piece together what happened. So they've really come at this from multiple angles in this study. So let's get into the results. So first, the big picture, what happened data, and then I'll break down the on the ground research that they did. Okay. In total, there were 244 cases of diarrhea Mm -hmm. during the outbreak period, which was about six weeks. The median age of cases was six years. But there were more cases in the zero to two year age group than in any other age group. Mm -hmm. And actually, children aged zero to two years had almost 13 times the risk of having diarrhea compared with people aged over 15 years. Mm. 27 of the 244 cases had to be hospitalized. So that's around 11%. And children aged zero to two had almost 20 times the risk of being hospitalized for diarrhea compared with people aged over 15 years. So very serious for young children, Janine, as I said. Fortunately, there were no deaths from diarrhea in this outbreak. Okay. So leading up to the outbreak period, the average weekly rainfall was 22.5 millimetres. At the peak of the drought when the outbreak occurred, the weekly average rainfall was 9.5 millimetres. So 22.5 to 9.5 more than halved, and they hadn't seen rainfall this low since 1930. Wow. So the government response included distributing water to families each day from government water reserves. Then the Ministry of Health went door to door to give people soap, to promote hand washing Mm. and encourage people to boil any drinking water. Mm -hmm. And this Ministry of Health campaign was associated with a decrease in the case rates. Then in September of 2011, a national drought emergency was declared, which unlocked international humanitarian aid, including bulk delivery of fresh water, hand sanitizers, soap, water purification tablets, and desalinization plants. Mm -hmm. And this was associated with a significant drop in case rates. So, Janine, we're really starting to get a picture of what's led to this diarrhea outbreak. Mm. And this international aid went on until, thankfully, it rained again in November 2011 and the drought came to an end. Okay. Now, the -the on-the-ground study they did is really confirming that why and how. So this was a case control study, which is a type of study to test whether certain factors or exposures, as they're called, are linked to a particular outcome. And it's usually a disease or a health condition. So what you do is find a group of people who have or had the disease. Mm -hmm. So they're your cases. And then you find a group of people who definitely didn't or don't have the disease. 
mm-hmm. they're your controls, and then you look back in time to see whether certain things are more or less frequent among the cases or the controls. Mm, okay. Now, you should pick controls who are similar to the cases on some important criterion or set mm-hmm. of criteria. So often it's age or gender or whatever else makes sense for what you're studying. Mm-hmm. So case control studies are by their nature retrospective. We're looking back in time at what's already happened and finding links. So they went around to people's houses to ask them what happened during the drought. Mm -hmm. They asked them about their hand-washing practices, how full their water tank was, about other household demographics, and so on. And those who had diarrhea were identified from hospital records. So this is finding our case group. And what they found was that those who had diarrhea were 2.3 times more likely to have had very low water tanks, Mm. so less than 20% full. And they were three times more likely to have been washing their hands less often. Mm -hmm. And as you'd probably expect, Janine, the low water tank was strongly linked with decreased hand washing. Yeah. So it suggests that decreased hand washing was probably the driving factor in this diarrhea outbreak in Tuvalu. Mm. And that's supported by the decrease in rates of diarrhea around the same time when those hygiene promotion campaigns were put in place. Yes. And an important point is that it's unlikely that the diarrhea outbreak was due to drought-related water contamination. Mm. which can lead to infection in people when water tanks are very low because the pathogens in the water are more concentrated in what's a small supply of water. But if that was the case, then you would expect to see cases of diarrhoea clustered around a common water supply rather Mm. than spread across the region. Mm -hmm. And most people were boiling their drinking water. So Mm -hmm. again, infection through contaminated water seems unlikely. And what has happened here is most likely a diarrhea outbreak due to poorer personal hygiene Mm -hmm. as a result of limited water supply brought on by a La Nina-induced drought. Okay, so there must have been some sort of pathogen causing these bouts of diarrhea. Did they work out what that was? Yes, good question. Uh, So the answer is no. Okay. Tuvalu is a small developing nation and mm-hmm. they just didn't have any sophisticated lab testing to identify the mm. specific pathogen. Okay. So you're right, there is still some sort of bug. Whether it was bacteria or a parasite or even a virus, we don't know. Mm-hmm. We just know or we strongly suspect that whatever it was, this pathogen was able to make its way around Funafuti because people couldn't maintain their personal hygiene so well through hand washing. Yeah, so there's most likely the same amount of bugs as normal, but they're just spreading more easily and the load of the pathogens is more severe because people aren't able to wash their hands as much as they normally would. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Spot on system. So there we go. And the take-home message to me is really this. So first of all, the weather impacts of La Nina and El Nino periods are predictable. So we mm. know what each brings in different parts of the world. Yep. And so understanding this and the effects on human health, among many other things, we need to have plans in place to deal with it. And a study like this is so valuable in providing that really detailed account of what happened and why so that we can learn and plan ahead to mitigate the health effects of natural disasters like this in future. Yes, absolutely. And I actually did see a paper about how La Nina and El Nino events may be linked with influenza pandemics. Now, I haven't read it in detail yet, but I'll pop it up on the website if people want to take a look. Yeah. 
Very good, Janine. And we've just gone through one example here of how La Nina was linked to a diarrhea outbreak, but its health effects are potentially much broader than this. And actually, I saw an interesting paper that was exploring that connection between the ENSO cycle and influenza and looking at how bird migration might explain this to some extent. So if bird migration is disrupted somehow Mm -hmm. because of the weather and if you have birds having longer stopover time, say, in certain places and potentially mixing more with domestic animals, Mm -hmm. then this could make that jump from one species to another more likely and potentially promote viral diseases. Mm, Very interesting. Yeah, so overall we can see how the weather is interconnected across the globe and just how there can be far-reaching effects of the weather on all different aspects of biology, including human health. Exactly. All right, so it's time for Inner Square. Inner Square time. So, Janine, what brought out your Inner Square recently? Okay, well, it has to be the new board game that I have just acquired called Go Extinct, which... Oh, yes! Which I have forced you to play. (laughs) I loved it. This is how we spent our New Year's Eve. That's right. (laughs) Fortunately, at that time, we weren't in a lockdown, so we were able to meet and play this game. So I'll take you through several elements of squareness to this story. This game I have had bookmarked for a few years. It was advertised as something like evolution meets card game. Now, of course, I'm going to get excited about this kind of label. Well, you are an evolutionary biologist who likes board games. I need to have this for my child and let's face it for myself but I could see that the age rating was eight plus so I decided to just hold out until my little child was of age and so I (laughs) added age of age to play a science board game that's That's hilarious (laughs) so I put it onto my list of gift ideas for people yes this is one of my many lists Mm -hmm. so this Christmas my little one finally turned eight and I was primed I was ready I went online to order it and it seemed to have ceased production. And I just just set off waves of panic because I have just been waiting to get this for him for so long. I went, oh, I need to get this game. And it looks like it was funded using Kickstarter or something and they just did this limited run. Ooh, limited edition science board game. Like it just didn't occur to me that this wouldn't be a super popular long-running game, right? (laughs) (laughs) So everywhere I'm looking online, it's unavailable. I'm freaking out. And I think there was one on eBay, but it was for some obscene price. So that wasn't going to happen. So I just started calling toy stores all around (laughs) Brisbane, the city that I live. (laughs) You're stalking retail stores across the city. Yeah, just in the desperate hope that they may have one. And Alina, as you know, I found one. I'm just picturing you at the shop like wrestling with some other mum. (laughs) With, who's got the last Go Extinct board game and you've just, you're just ripping it out of her arms. <laughs> well, no, it turns out, so the one that I called, they had one left and it, they could see on the system that they had it, but they couldn't find it in the shop. So it was just like mega buried. So they went and found it underneath piles of whatever. And I would say that some other nerd who couldn't buy it at the time has tried to hide it in the shop. Well, you snooze, you lose, Alina. (laughs) So I asked them, of course, to put it aside. And then I drove 
around one hour to go and pick this board game up. And it did not disappoint. Passed it on at Christmas and we've been playing it ever since. Now, it's essentially based on the card game Go Fish. But instead of trying to collect sets of aces or queens, etc., you're trying to collect what we call clades of animals. Now, in evolution, as you now know, Alina, a clade <laughs> is a group of animals that all descended from a common ancestor. So one of the clades in the game includes representatives of only the amphibians, right? Yes. And the game also comes with this big board, which shows the evolutionary tree of all the animals included in the cards. And I just think this is the genius of the game because you have to interpret the evolutionary tree in order to play and win. So now my eight-year-old has a pretty firm grasp of evolutionary clades, shared informative characters, and the actual evolutionary history of many types of animals on Earth. And the best part, I think, is that when someone asks for a card and you don't have it, instead of saying go fish, you say go extinct. Yeah. Genius. It is fun. I had a lot of fun playing the game. I learnt a lot for a game that's meant for eight-year-olds. Well, this is it. It's a game, but you're learning at the same time. <laughs> we're, we're having fun <laughs> and we're learning. I know. The thing that struck me was that, was it whale and horse was in the same higher order clade. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I just took a little moment with that, but I'm on board now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's because that particular clade includes mammals whose ancestor was from the Northern Hemisphere. Yes. Yes, so they do share a common ancestor and whales are mammals just like horses. And we're all part of the same clade at the end of the day, but then there are well, that's right. Higher order clades as you move along the evolutionary tree. That's right. We're all just one big clade on this earth. We're all in this together. <laughs> we're all in this clade together. We are. <laughs> That's a nice message. So, Alina, what brought out your inner square? Yes, well, as per usual, my inner square has nothing to do with probably any useful information. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm detecting a bit of a theme with these, <laughs> with this segment. Potentially, potentially. <laughs> Look, I was on the phone to my bank recently okay. and, of course, I had to spell out my 10-letter Polish surname over the phone. Uh, Look, Alina, I just do not miss that name. Yeah. I don't miss it one bit. <laughs> I had to spell out my 10-letter Polish surname over the phone, which never goes smoothly. No. Ten letters, but it still feels like somehow every letter of the alphabet is in that name. Yep. Anyway, and so I was trying to do the whole, you know, S for Sam, E for Echidna. <laughs> and for whatever reason, I kind of fell apart with my word selection <laughs> for each letter. I had really long pauses after saying the letter while I was trying to find a suitable word. <laughs> Or I would say a word that was completely unhelpful for communicating what the letter was. Like, I think I may have said O for esophageal. Are you serious? Something, something like that. I think I'm very sure I said C for chair. But then, I know. And then the, I was so embarrassed. But then the guy, when he spelt it back to me, he was full military style mm. with his word selection. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that this is the approach that I need to take. <laughs> it's going to save so much time. 
So, Janine, I've gone ahead and learned the NATO phonetic alphabet. Oh, too good. So this is, you know, Alpha, Bravo, Charlie. Okay. It's the standardized code word for each letter of the alphabet that's used for critical comms, as in the military. (laughs) So go on and quiz me. Is this what the guy was doing? Is this the exact alphabet he was using? Yeah. He was all over it. He was all over it. Okay. Quiz you. All right. Um, Z. Zulu. Um, Q. Quebec. Nice. Okay, my name. <gasps> Juliet. Alpha. November. India. November Echo. Well done. Very nice. Okay. And now I finally understand what's funny about that movie <laughs> title, Whiskey Tango Foxtrot. Ah, oh, yes. Because previously I had no idea what that meant. <laughs> Regardless, this is locked into my brain now, and so I can now use this and sound super pro and serious <laughs> instead of sounding more like a bad contestant on like Wheel of Fortune. <laughs> and also With just that. not get so frustrated when you have to spell your name. You can find it as a kind of little fun activity for yourself. Exactly. No more S for Snuffleupagus. <laughs> Okay, so I think it's time to wrap up, Janine. Uh, yes. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. And huge thanks to Deepak for sending in this episode topic. We hope we have met the challenge and described La Nina clearly for you. Details of the research we've talked about will be available on the website. That's www.sisterdoctorsquared.com with all words spelt in full. Uh, Follow along on Facebook and Twitter and we'd love to connect with you. And if you have something you'd like us to investigate, please let us know. Indeed. Okay, bye everyone. Bravo Yankee Echo. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. Bye. Bye.